This is One Bills Live, presented by Kaleida Health. All right, let's rock and roll here on a Tuesday. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you. One Bills Live is the show. And the Bills are still licking their wounds after uh, Sunday's loss to the Dolphins. We'll get into that in just a second. But Steve, as you know, as a homeowner, there are things that you must deal with from time to time. Various repairs, various things that you have to take care of. And Uh-oh. I have happened? two things what happened? that happened to me in the span of <laughs> approximately 15 to 18 hours. I'm driving home yesterday afternoon. I get a frantic call on the phone from my wife, who fortunately um, was home before I was yesterday. She calls me in a panic, and I knew right away it wasn't good because all I can hear in the background on the phone is rushing water. Oh, okay. <laughs> she's in the basement. Oh, in the basement, rushing. <laughs> and she's, she basically in the, she FaceTimed me so I could see what was going on. She basically has Old Faithful behind her in the basement. It's a sump pump issue. And, you know, it was pouring yesterday. Right. There is water shooting out of the sump pump, but up against the basement wall. Because the coupler that connects the pipe up and out of the house, along with the came sump, up, is apart. Up. Oh, gosh. Da, 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 da. So, so it's I'm, like in a loop, right? It's right. pumping it right so back So fortunately, the I'm on my way home. And um, you know, basically unplug the sump pump so it stops running. Right. And then keep an eye on it to make sure it's not filling up. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I got home, and fortunately, it was an easy fix. It was just reclamp the right. coupler back to the pipe. Okay. But, you know, we had a little bit of flooding down wetness. there. Yeah, okay. So I had to take some. It's on the, fortunately, it's on the unfinished side of our basement, laundry area, you know, that stuff. But, right. you know, we have carpets down because it gets cold, like little area remnants. That's what we have on that side of the basement. So at least I could pick them up carry them out to the back patio, let them drain, dry, et cetera. They're right. still drying now. Um, not a fun phone call to get. That's number one. Right. Number two was filled with a little bit more hijinks, okay? So my dog, this is my younger dog. My older dog we unfortunately lost in June. And she was the... Uh, intrepid territorial guardian of the yard. The old dog was. Yes, to the point where squirrels would not even use our yard to take a shortcut because she was like on them like white on rice. Right. Even at an advanced age, she would chase them out of the yard. Um, and she never caught one, but she got, she, she got half the tail of one of them. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Snapped the tail off halfway through. So word got got around the squirrel community. (laughs) Not to go. Don't go through our backyard. (laughs) Um, (laughs) She got a bird one time, too. I don't know how she did that. So anyway, suffice it to say, good guard dog in terms of keeping the critters out of the yard. But gone. But now gone since June. And let's just say that my, my younger dog, who now has rule of the roost, 
A. The one you call the dumb dog. She's A. She's not smart. A sweetheart of a dog, but just not intelligent. A. Not intelligent. B. Not readily aware of what's going on around her. And I think it might be rooted in the fact I don't think her eyes are that great. Because I've told you, like when I'm in the kitchen and like if I'm chopping up a salad, I'll toss her the end of the cucumber because she likes. She eats cucumbers, she eats carrots, she eats veggies. So, you know, I'll toss her a mini carrot just to kind of keep her occupied. Well, my old dog, I toss her anything to eat. Snap, like right out of the air. Right. Like like, on it. It's like us catching with hand. Oh, yeah. Like on it. Never missed. My younger dog, you throw her the end of a cucumber. Like she's, she's three feet away from me. You know, I'm underhand tossing it to her. Couldn't. <laughs> she doesn't even move. I'm not joking when I tell you the last five times I have done this with my younger dog. It literally bounces off of her forehead, then hits the ground. Then she'll scurry around and look for it. Like, no reaction. to th- There is something in the air coming at me. I'm either flinch. getting out of the way. Wow. Or, hey, this could be food. Yeah, you Let me have, snap it right out of the air. You might have her check for cataract. Doesn't, doesn't even, like, right. no reaction. Like, I might as well be throwing that to a statue. There's just there's nothing. So, th- so keeping all of this in mind, okay, reaction time, right. vision, interest in guarding the yard, like, all subpar grades <laughs> across the board. <laughs> Okay, like we're talking sixth round pick at at best here. Rookie free agent. So this morning, before I leave for work, I'm drinking my coffee on our little front porch there. And she's out there with me. And all of a sudden she hops off the porch and she jumps into stealth mode. This is very unusual because, as I said, really doesn't take an interest in any other critter lacks awareness in our yard whatsoever. So she hops into stealth mode. I'm like, Oh, what's this about? She actually sees something like maybe her vision isn't that bad. So she goes, you know, she's on, she's doing the prowl thing, you know, kind of trying to sneak up on whatever she sees. I'm assuming it's a squirrel. Right. So, uh, she she comes out of our front landscaping into our driveway off to my left. Our garage door is open because I'm going to be leaving for work soon. So the garage door is open and she kind of slowly kind of stealth prowls her way out to the far side of my garage door, the corner of the garage leading to the side of the house. All of a sudden she disappears around the corner, springs into action. I was like, oh. You know, we, I gotta see. Maybe we'll. Maybe she's gonna catch something. You send a message to the squirrel community, like you know. So you scurry out there with your cup of coffee to so, check it out. I'm sure. So I right? put my yeah. coffee down. <laughs> I hop out onto the front walkway to see, you know, what we got going on here. Like, do we have a, a hot pursuit? Like, what are we doing? I'm not even at the driveway yet, and my dog's gone. A squirrel comes. Right back around the front of the house. Like doubled back. Yeah. Sees me. (laughs) Sees me. Hangs a right turn into my garage. Oh, no. So now my dog comes back because she got faked out of her socks. (laughs) Because the the squirrel completely doubled back on her and she had no clue what was going on. 
She comes back like, hey, where's the squirrel? You know? And I hear the thing. So now she darts. She, she hears it in the garage. She darts in there. She chases this squirrel up my six-foot ladder, which is leaning against the wall in the garage, like just trying to get to high ground. Well, now what? Do you, now to what? Get away. Now I got a squirrel in the garage. So I'm just like, seriously, dog? Like the one time you actually show interest in chasing something out of the yard, totally. it double back. It double backs on you. Totally backs. Fakes you out. You know, like you're a house on the side of the road. And now I got this thing in my garage. So my wife should have filmed this, quite frankly. So now I've got a squirrel perched up on the ladder between the wall and the ladder, like looking like who's coming after me, like one of these deals. Now, I've had a couple of squirrel encounters in my life. I don't want this thing in a panic jumping off the ladder at me. You know, kind of like Christmas Vacation with Chevy right. Chase and the squirrel jumping right. out of the Christmas tree. That's right. So I've got... <laughs> my wife should have taken a picture of this. My dog's inside right. now watching this because she doesn't know what to do. Right. I have my son's <laughs> spike ball net. As a What's sheet? a spike ball? So net. spike ball is. Oh yeah, yeah, I know what it you is. Know, yeah, you know that circle game? thing like a trampoline. It's got a net. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I got that over my face so this thing doesn't <laughs> leap out <laughs> at me. Okay. Like a shield. Yeah. Because <laughs> if it jumps out, it'll hit the net. You know, not my face. It'd tear me apart. And in my other hand, I've got my roof rake because I want to pull the ladder off the wall to give it enough time to, you know. Yeah, like scamper a big and go. Like we, but the thing you pull snow off the roof with. Yes. Right? Okay, okay. So I'm using that kind of like a hook yeah. to pull the ladder off the wall. So I hold the shield, and I this thing doesn't want to, she doesn't want to move. The squirrel doesn't want to move, like probably terrori- terrified. So I pull the, the thing off. It jumps to my garage door opener bar, like the, the track the door runs down on. It jumps from the ladder to that and then belly flops. <laughs> Onto the cement, uh. but has enough presence of mind to scurry away, and and crisis averted. But my, oh my dog, gosh. in its in its first interest and pursuit of a squirrel, again fails miserably and creates a problem instead of solving yeah. one. It's, it's there's some lessons to be learned at your house, I'm sure. Obviously, it's terrible. That's too bad. It does not trump my other squirrel experience, which we did in college. One of my housemates, he lived upstairs. There was a squirrel in the wall. In the wall. Yes. So right. he would pound on the wall, and the, the squirrel would run out off the phone line and you know get to a tree, escape, whatever. Right. So my buddy, finally, he's had enough because it's disrupting his sleep. He hears a thing in the wall, this, right, that, and the other. Right, right. He goes, guys... I just need you to bang on the wall. He goes, because I'm not repeating this cycle again. I'm going outside. I've got my pellet gun. I'm taking this thing out. I was like, oh, okay. Okay. Um, So he goes, I need you two guys to pound on the wall. When you hear it scurrying, I need you to shout out the window, you know, squirrel on the line. You know, it's coming. (laughs) Squirrel. Because there was only one way in and one way out. Right, I got you. Yeah, yeah. So we we pound on the wall. Sure enough, we hear the thing scurry. We're like, on the line! And so all I hear from outside is, <coughs> nailed the thing right off the line. So now I'm like, well, what are we going to do with that? So I'll give him, 
<laughs> the guy's name was Paul. Paul's like, and he was a Long Island guy like me. He goes, Squirrel Cacciatore, boys. I'm like, get the heck out of Dodge. I said, you are not filleting this thing and eating it. He goes, 100%. He goes, I'm not wasting that. He's like, that's good meat right there. I was like, okay. <laughs> you don't know where this squirrel's been. Rodents can't, you know, you carry don't know rabies. Well, they carry rabies, right? Like, I am not joking you. Brownie. I am not joking you. He filleted the thing. First, he skinned it, filleted it, and made squirrel cacciatore. I, I did not partake. But four of my housemates yeah, did, not, and they listen, said it was delicious. You're long. I'm a country kid. That's that's part yeah, of the course. It's like turtle that's eating turtle doves, that kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, that's, How do turtle doves taste? Uh, a little bit like pheasant. <laughs> um, okay. Um, Fair enough. Yeah, squirrel is... Yeah, back in the day, that Americans grew up. A lot of Americans grew up on squirrel. That was, you know, and rabbit. Yeah, that kind of stuff. But yeah, that's squirrels are a, a, a main homeowner issue here in West. In West, they Indiana. are right. Uh, like, absolutely, everybody. I've got stories about squirrels in my. We had them in. And I had I got a have a heart trap. There were three of them. They were red too. They weren't the gray squirrels. They were the red ones, the smaller ones. Oh, Come okay. Vicious little buggers. <laughs> and and uh, I had to like, you know, you took it out. I let it go. It went up the side of the house, back across the thing, but right over to where I had blocked them. So I got it right. I knew where they were coming in. I got it right. I guessed. Oh, okay. So you headed. And he off. couldn't get in. So I got that one. Then I had to catch two more that were in there. Yeah. It was yeah. Squirrels are a problem. Yeah, squirrels are a problem. So yeah, that was that was the hijinks of this morning. Before I even that got was this car. morning. That was this oh morning. Oh my gosh! <laughs> what a way to start your so day. So now I don't know whether to encourage my dog to keep chasing squirrels because she's horrible at it. Well, she's got some things to learn. Well, you, you should tr- you know she's four. Get a fishing like pole. A get a fishing pole. Get a little squirrel, a little squirrel furry thing, and start training her around the house. You know, th- cast it out there and you know really? fish you for your dog. Work? I don't know if that will work. I'm, get I'm totally guessing. All right. Enough about uh, totally guessing home ownership hijinks here. Uh, we got to get into the Bills news because uh, coming up very shortly, we're going to be joined by CBS sideline reporter Evan Washburn, who, as we know, covers the Ravens and does Ravens broadcasts in the preseason. He's based out of Baltimore. He knows the Ravens inside and out. And I have to double check. He might even be on. Uh, he might even be covering this game, Bills Ravens. I think he is. I remember I was talking to him at yeah, training they are. camp. It's him and oh, was it Harlan? Harlan and K- uh, Trent Green. No, it's oh, Ian Eagle and Charles Davis. Davis. Charles Davis, that's right. Yeah. Ian and Charles. And Evan Washburn will be on the sidelines. He was telling me in training camp he was doing this game. So we'll catch up with him very shortly here. But we got to get into this. Multiple reports are out there already. Free agent cornerback Xavier Rhodes is visiting with the Bills today. Buffalo currently without Christian Benford for at least a couple of weeks, according to head coach Sean McDermott in his press conference yesterday. Benford, as we know, broke his hand in Sunday's game. He did finish the game, but only on special teams. He's he's scheduled to have surgery on his hand today. The status of Dane Jackson, not yet known for this week, so it's not surprising to see the team looking outside the organization at the cornerback position. Rhodes, for those of you who don't know, nine-year veteran in the league, played the last two seasons with the Colts, first seven in Minnesota, where Leslie Frazier was his head coach his rookie year. 13 career interceptions, typical tall, long corner that the Bills covet, six foot one. Right. And 
he'll right now. I mean, at the right out of the gate, it's going to be for depth. They just want the guy ready in case they right. have somebody let, line but up who's done it. Steve, let's think about this. But the longer though. it goes, the more he gets acclimated to the defense. Yeah, they could use him. Right. So if we go under the assumption, and it's only an assumption right now, that Dane Jackson not ready to play this week, you conceivably go into the game with Kyrie Elam. Jamarcus Ingram is probably a call-up from the practice squad for a second straight week. Cam Lewis and Saran Neal are your only other corners. And it's clear after seeing Ingram play corner over Lewis and Neal that Rhodes, if he signed, he could be the team's third corner at worst this week. Maybe. Maybe. Dep- yeah. It, I mean, if well, Dane ja- I'm if going under the him, assumption that Dane's not yet ready. Now, right. he might be. If we don't they know. sign him... Um, he's got some time to get up and get acclimated and get some coverages under his belt, no question about it. Plus, you'll have uh, – maybe Poyer is going to be out there and have somebody out there going telling him what he's got to do. Well, but yeah. That the question remains, how, how well schooled is he going to be? I, I think – yeah, I think he's strictly a depth piece. I mean, they, they do not want him on the field if they can help him. Not in the first week, no. Um, well, the longer it goes, the, the more the guy's got a chance. The guy's got to make. You're going to be. You could potentially be weighing Jamarcus Ingram, who didn't play poorly last week. I'll give him marks for that. Yeah. Or Xavier Rhodes. So those are your. I think that's the decision they're making, assuming Dane Jackson isn't well enough to play coming off right. the neck injury. So we'll have to see. And, and part of the reason why is I think Cam Lewis is viewed as the backup nickel to Taron Johnson. And he's also a backup safety right now. Mm-hmm. Because you haven't, you haven't added back to the roster there either. You know, with Hyde going to IR. So, right. so there's that as well. There was more injury news from the Bills. Offensive lineman Tommy Doyle, who stepped in for an injured Ryan Bates late in the game last week, tore his ACL. He's out for the season. Yeah, now that's too bad. You th- so, Steve, That's... Eric Wood and I were texting back and forth on that when that news came out because you think about that possession at the end of the game on the two-yard line, and you ask, why are they throwing, why are they throwing, why are they not running? That's it. If he tore his ACL That's why. prior to that series, that would be a good reason why. Yeah, he toughed it out and finished the game. I, the way I understand it, he toughed it out and finished the game with an ACL. And <laughs> Wow. Wow. Yeah. So with a three hundred pounder leaning on you every snap, right. man, it's, that's a rough. That's a rough asking. That's and guts. Bless there. his heart for trying to do that and stuff. But that's why we, the Bills, were in such a state at the end of that game. I mean, they were just everybody was completely exhausted, and it, there was nobody who could come in and give you a rest even for one play. The, the bench was empty. Yeah, empty. So incredibly bad news for Tommy Doyle. Yeah, he's out for the season now. Right. Uh, their Rhodes is coming in to, you know, have a look-see to see if they need some help, and they probably do. Um, and, and I then, think it also says, like you said, I think it says more about Dane Jackson and all of that than right. it does anything else. And that's not the end of the list. Ryan Bates, who Tommy Doyle came in for, mm-hmm. is in the concussion protocol. So we'll have to monitor his status through the course of this week. Buffalo does get a lineman back in Bobby Hart, who returns from his one-game suspension. So he's back on the roster, and 
not for nothing, Steve, he had a pretty good training camp in preseason playing the guard position. I yeah. think at tackle, he was inconsistent in his time here in Buffalo, but he looked pretty good at guard, he's a guard through he's, the preseason. He's a, he's a good guard. So he guard. could be an answer, you know, if Van Roten is not healthy because he couldn't finish the game last week either. Yeah. Because yeah. Van Roten was the first lineman off the bench guard to guard. But he may not be an option this week. We when don't you, know until the Wednesday right. injury. And when you start talking about offensive line injuries and how they move stuff around and shuffle guys in, and I, it becomes an absolute jigsaw puzzle. So we're going to have to wait and see till later in the week before we actually even get a handle on what they're thinking. And that's still not the end of it. Jake Kumaro is week to week with a high ankle sprain. So do not expect to see him this week. So maybe we see Khalil Shakir up as the fifth receiver. Yeah, this right. week. And then Ed Oliver, Jordan Poyer, Mitch Morse were all considered day-to-day by head coach Sean McDermott. Um, Jordan Phillips with the hamstring. There was no update on him, but I would estimate he's still probably a week or two away. A hamstring injury is no joke. Uh, but we'll see what the injury report reveals to us tomorrow afternoon. We have to take a break here. When we come back, we're going to be joined by NFL on CBS sideline reporter Evan Washburn doing the Bills-Ravens game on Sunday. We'll catch up with him next here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. Welcome back to One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Steve Casper with you here on a Tuesday. We're going to be joined momentarily by NFL on CBS sideline reporter Evan Washburn, who's going to be doing the game on Sunday in Baltimore with Ian Eagle and Charles Davis. He'll be manning the sidelines. He did make it up to training camp this summer for the Bills. And we had him on the show, actually, at training camp. That's when right. We were out there at St. John Fisher. So it'll be good to get him back on, give us the update on the latest from the Ravens, who are pretty darn impressive out of the shoot here. Yes, they, they had a second-half collapse against the Dolphins in Week 2. Uh, fourth quarter, half. Yeah, they had two broken coverage that cost them. Right. Um, and that's what Miami's relied on to get to a 3-0 and start. Some big play, just a few big plays on offense and then a defense that holds it down on the other end, although Baltimore ran it up uh, on the Dolphins early in that game, sprinting out to a 28-7 lead, put 38 points on the Dolphins. And right now, Lamar Jackson is right at the top of the league. Josh Allen leads the league in passing yards, but if I remember what I saw yesterday, Lamar Jackson leads the league in passer rating. So Lamar with a 119 passer rating on the season. He also leads the league in touchdown passes with 10 and uh, he's averaging eight and a half yards an attempt. That is a fat number. Yeah. Um, and people thought the passing game was going to go in the tank after they traded away Marquise Hollywood Brown. But Rashad Bateman, their former first-round draft choice of a year ago, is looking good out of the gate. And they still rely heavily on their tight end, Mark Andrews, who is the most productive tight end in football right now, even more so than Travis Kelsey and some of the others. Right. Yeah, Baltimore scoring some points. They, they they put 24 up on the Jets in week one, okay, so he's getting out of the gate. And then they put 30, 38 against Miami and then 37 last week against the Patriots. They're, they're hanging some numbers up. Yeah, this is their tour through the AFC East. They've played each 
of their first three games against AFC East opponents, and they're going to wrap up their tour of the AFC East with the Bills here in Week 4. Kind of a weird quirk in the schedule for them. Yeah, it is. It is. But, you know. They're 2-1. and They're 2-1. and And they could be. They're a whisker away. A whisker away from 3-0. and Yeah. So. They just got J.K. Dobbins back in the lineup this past week. And Dobbins with a pitch count, if you will, because he's coming off a major knee injury from last year. Seven carries for 23 yards. Um, they had Justice Hill as the other running back supplementing his effort. But uh, we do have Evan with us now. So here is NFL on CBS sideline reporter Evan Washburn joining us. Haven't talked to you since training camp. How you doing, Evan? I know that seems like ages ago, but yeah. I guess it was only, I don't know, what, six, eight weeks ago. Uh, I'm doing well. Uh, excited to be with you guys. Pumped for this game this weekend. This is a big one. This is going to be a lot of fun. Right. My concern right off the bat, Evan, is the forecast for game day. We know that uh, Hurricane Ian is making its way into the Gulf as we speak, and it is so supposed to be moving up and eastward out to the eastern seaboard, and there are some early tracks that are saying it could be very wet and very windy on Sunday for Baltimore and Buffalo. What have, what have you seen? Are they, are they panicking? Is it like DEFCON 5 in Baltimore yet? Or what are the, weather, what are the meteorologists doing up th- down there? nothing yet uh it's gorgeous today i know that means nothing in terms of sunday but uh i think uh if if conditions are are brutal that plays to to baltimore's hand so i I don't think they're going to complain about maybe some wind and some rain that maybe makes this a a sloppier game and one that's played on the ground and not as much through the air but let's be real fellas i was there uh for that division or uh, wild card game uh, when you guys had that Arctic freeze going and some winds, so right. this would be a cakewalk compared to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, yeah. Would I, we're looking at uh, one of the most uh, fascinating stories of the off season and now into the regular season is Lamar Jackson and his contract. Uh, couldn't get one done with the Baltimore Ravens, and Lamar just said, "Hey, I'm going to play. I'm going to bet on myself." And he has gotten off to a smoking hot start. Um, he's running for touchdowns, throwing for touchdowns. His passer rating is, is great. He's at the top five or six in the league in passing. Just, you know, Ravens are humming along, scoring 37 and 38 points a week. But the Ravens, to me, are letting him play, and they haven't gotten a contract done. They're not. It sounds like they're not going to work on it during the season. And the Ravens seem okay with just saying, well, you know, let the guy play highly motivated, and we'll, we'll reap the benefits for now. Makes sense to me, Steve. I mean, I I think the Ravens would have liked to have gotten a deal done, but it had to be a deal where they felt like they were getting what they wanted out of it. And conversely, obviously, Lamar wants the same, and they just were too far apart in that area. And they're getting, I think, the best version of Lamar Jackson we've seen, and that includes the 2019 year where he won NFL MVP. And that's not to say he's going to accomplish that goal or, or that award once again, but just the command that he has uh, as a quarterback. And, and look, 2019 to me was about Lamar's ability and also the scheme that Greg Roman and that staff had built and how it just sort of it took the league by storm. Well, he's playing the position right now, albeit with his legs, but just as much with his arm. And he's much more accurate. Uh, he's dissecting defenses. John Harbaugh lent some words to that after the New England game where you know you're going to be tested mentally. And Lamar's been up to the task. So 
if you want to call it betting on himself through three weeks, uh, he's winning the bet. Talk to me, Evan, if you could, about Baltimore's offensive line. Ronnie Stanley yet to play um, this season, and it's been a little bit of a revolving door there. Juwan James plays in week one, tears his Achilles. He's out for the year. And then, I mean, they even had their rookie fourth-round pick over there a little bit last week, right? Daniel Falele, the giant human being of, like, 380-something pounds. Um, Who do you think it is going forward? Does Stanley have a chance, number one, Evan? And then number two, if it's not him, is it Patrick McCarry? Is it Falele? Who who is manning the blindside spot? Well, look, the, the goal is to get Ronnie Stanley back out there. He's been dealing with a left ankle injury. This goes back now almost uh, two seasons. And he, he came back for a game last year and then, and then had a regression with that injury. He's been back out at practice. He's been working out all through training camp. He was one of many players that missed all of last season that they've really been careful kind of reintroducing into live action. J.K. Dobbins was one of those guys getting his first – game action last week so the goal is to have Ronnie Stanley as the left tackle that's what they paid him all that money for and drafted him where they drafted him uh, a few years ago so that's option one at some point this season they would hope I think in the meantime Patrick McCary coming off an ankle injury in New England the sense is at least from what we heard after the game that it's not a long-term injury so he continues to possibly be the the guy in waiting or the guy in that spot until Stanley's available. Juwan James suffered an Achilles, so he's out. And you mentioned it, the, the rookie steps in there. And, guys, he's never played left tackle at any point in his football career. And he comes in and has to deal with guys like Matt Judon. And after a rough start, um, and Dietrich Wise did, did pretty well. So I, I think they're just kind of holding that spot as long as they can until Ronnie Stanley can step back in. Right. What are the early returns on the defensive coordinator, Mike McDonald? I know he took over for Wink Martindale this year, um, and it's a different kind of animal now than we've seen in Baltimore for a long time. Yeah, Steve, it's, it's a mixed bag at this point. I think there's aspects of it, and, and there's so much belief in what Mike McDonald can do. I mean, he, he really came up in the system, in the organization as a – defensive quality control assistant all the way up and then obviously goes to Michigan to work with Jim and now comes back home as they put it to be the defensive coordinator it's it's different than Wink's system of all-out blitz and 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 constantly kind of just uh, attacking quarterbacks in that way but the concern has obviously been the back end and look I don't know if this is as much an indictment on scheme as it is just the personnel because Injuries were such a storyline for Baltimore a year ago, and they continue to be because of the guys, one, coming off an injury, and when are they going to be at full speed and, and really at their uh, highest caliber. Uh, and then they've already started to lose some guys over the course of the first three weeks, and, and that back end was exposed in, in week two against Miami and, and had some moments even against New England, but they made the plays down the stretch. So I think it's, it's still a wait and see. Um, at least from the outside, Steve, when it comes to Mike McDonald's defense. But internally, uh, they have the utmost confidence in what he's doing with that group. Yeah, because it's curious. I mean, I know the defense was able to close the game out last week for them uh, against the Patriots. But you look at, you know, some of the early numbers and 
you know, seven sacks in three games is not terrible. It's also not elite. Um, where would you peg the development of their pass rush in this new scheme, you know, with Owe and, and Justin Houston being the primary players there? And Chris, Justin Houston's dealing with a groin injury right now. So it kind of fits with this, this constant. I mean, yeah. I know uh, Buffalo's dealing with it themselves. Just the injuries continue to be the dominant storyline week in and week out. Look, I think if you were having a pass rush conversation with Baltimore at the end of this season or really next season, they're in a great spot. At least they feel like they, they are because they've got Owe, uh, Ajabi, who they drafted out of Michigan, who dropped because of that Achilles mm-hmm. tear during a workout. And they feel like they got a first rounder uh, in a later round. And then Tyus Bowser, who's been a consistent performer, not an A-list pass rusher, but a guy they've given some decent money to. I think he had seven or eight sacks a year ago. He's coming off an Achilles. So it sounds like a broken record here, but once guys are healthy, whether it's with current injuries or coming off a season enders a year ago, they feel like they're in a great spot. That doesn't help them Sunday against Buffalo, and it hasn't helped them necessarily first in the first three weeks of the season. But that's kind of the story at that position. And they just signed, uh, should mention, Jason Pierre-Paul, right, who right. Uh, was a, a free agent. And look, I mean, he's one of the greatest stories, that, as I can remember in recent memory, based off of what he's overcome, how he performed uh, down in Tampa, a big part of that Super Bowl run a few years ago. And and this is how Eric DaCosta, Ozzie, John Harbaugh work. They'll, they'll grab guys and see what they can get out of them later in their career. And, and maybe JPP helps stem the tide until – Guys like Tyus Bowser come back. Maybe they get a jobby later in the year. One of the things also that has aided in Lamar Jackson becoming a little bit better of a thrower, the weapons on the outside. Rashad Bateman has really come on, I thought, and played pretty well in the last couple of games. But the guy that's kind of scary if you're looking at this team is DuVernay. DuVernay. He's got some wheels. Uh, they use him as a kick returner. I mean, they he's got all kinds of – athleticism and I think the weapons on the outside have really made a difference for Lamar plus there's no doubt too we talked about earlier Lamar's a different guy these days he really is and I think Devin DuVernay is a great example Steve of the the improvement of Lamar as an accurate thrower because Devin DuVernay is not a big guy he's a burner but the windows are 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 tight if I mean he'll get some separation but Lamar's got to fit it in there, and he's done that. Look, Mark Andrews is still their best pass catcher at the tight end position and most consistent, but he's that big body guy with a massive catch radius. Devin DuVernay is not, but he's a great example of skill development. He's grown in this system. He's an all-pro returner that is now showing himself to be a legitimate number two wide receiver uh, for the Baltimore Ravens. And the chemistry and trust that Lamar has in DuVernay, I think, has, has helped give this offense, to me, a, a surprising look, at least through the first three weeks, because the thought, guys, coming into this year with now three tight ends, they bring in Isaiah Likely out of Costa Carolina, Nick Boyle's back off of injury, that this is going to be, again, that three tight end system that we saw in 2019, where they just almost look like you know the Navy midshipmen running constant options right. and and really confusing defenses with the run game. I've seen it as more balanced. Yes, Lamar is running the ball when necessary. He's putting up those type of numbers. But it, it looks different because I think they just have so much trust in Lamar the passer, 
what Mark Andrews obviously brings, but now with Bateman coming on as a, as a second year player and Devin Duvernay as kind of that second or third option, it's, it's a really a balanced group. In the secondary, Evan, you've got two corners that are a little longer in the tooth coming off of major season ending injuries. Um, I don't want to say that they're over the hill or anything. Marcus Peters and Marlon Humphrey are the guys I'm talking about there. Um, They've been victimized a little bit. Um, I know they've had some young players at safety that have had to step in from time to time, Kyle Hamilton being one of them. Where would you assess the secondary play through three games knowing this defense has given up some points the last couple of weeks? Well, I think it's 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 underperformed when you look at the numbers, and really the the outlier is that fourth quarter against Miami. Right, and that was that was by all intents and purposes kind of a meltdown, and they acknowledged it. I mean, and part of it fell on a rookie and Kyle Hamilton. But I think when you look, Chris, at the personnel, I still think it's it's got a lot of a listers. Marcus Williams, who I didn't know much about, the safety they they signed in free agency from the Saints, has right. been arguably the best player defensively for the Ravens and alongside Chuck Clark, who a lot of people don't know across the league, sort of casual fans. He's as brilliant and smart a safety and talented a safety as there is. So those two in in the back end, I think have, have provided stability. You mentioned Marcus Peters. He's coming off a, a serious injury. He looked to be back to form in a lot of ways against new England and Marlon Humphrey, to me, and, and this is something I'm, I'm looking forward to diving into over the course of this week as you kind of play, play that prediction game. Where's Marlon going to be uh, deployed? Because he's paid like a, a top cover corner in this league, but they kind of use him in the slot a lot. I mean, he's a really physical corner. We know his ability to force fumbles. I mean, he's uh, they, they call him punch because he's just constantly punching the ball out. So does he match up with Diggs more when Diggs is inside? How do they deal with Gabe Davis? Because the the glaring hole right now um, when they match up with teams like Buffalo or Miami is that if Marlon's inside and they've got Marcus on, on the outside, that second or however you want to view it, third corner, that's a spot where they haven't had somebody really grab it. They've got Brandon Stevens, who's a second-year player at SMU that played safety, is a former running back. They got Jalen Armour Davis from Alabama, a fourth-rounder. So guys that have shown potential, but when they're having to deal with Jalen Waddell or Tyreek Hill or this week maybe Gabe Davis or Stephon Diggs or Isaiah McKenzie, um, that's those are the guys that have been exposed along with Kyle Hamilton a couple times in, in that Dolphins game. So I, I, that's a long way of saying – I still think it's the potential to be a really good secondary. They're still finding their way, and they do have some vulnerabilities at that at that sort of second outside corner, if you will. Last one from me, Evan. You've been around. I mean, this is we're hitting the month, first month of the season. You've been working uh, every week. You were, you had the Steelers at the Patriots, uh, hosting the Patriots. You had the Bengals uh, this last week at the Jets. Um, what are some of the surprising teams? I mean, because you know the Bengals. Pounce come back after the AFC Championship last year, and they kind of st- stumble out of the gate. You had the Steelers trying to find their way. The Jets are get, trying to get better. What are some of the things you've seen in the first month of the season, the games you've covered? Well, I think it, you mentioned it, Steve. The, the Bengals situation was probably the most interesting because what they looked like in week one was jarring because it was about as bad as you could play but then they really should have won the game if they didn't lose their long snapper 
uh, to a bicep injury. And then they couple that with the loss to Dallas and Cooper Rush. But now Cooper Rush is good. I don't know, after mm-hmm. Monday night. <laughs> right, and right. And then I think they – I don't want to say they had a full get right against the New York Jets, but it was sort of a like, okay, we can relax a little bit. We get the win. We look a little bit more like ourselves. So I don't think that the panic is there uh, for the Bengals like it was maybe a week ago. But, but really, Steve, what, what stood out to me is just – and it's kind of what we said when we were there in Rochester. This AFC is going to be an absolute gauntlet. And you guys experienced it last week. Miami's for real. They're not going anywhere. And despite a loss to the Colts that was ugly, I don't think Kansas City's going anywhere. I still think Buffalo, if you have to sort of make a proclamation, is the one I would feel the best about. Uh, I think Baltimore is eager to prove a lot of people wrong and continue to play with a chip on their shoulder and say they're for real. And then there's the AFC West in Denver and and the Chargers. I don't know. It's just I'm continually validated, I guess, whether it's the games we're covering or when I'm catching up Sunday night into Monday and then prepping for the next week, just how loaded this AFC is. All right, Evan, thanks for the time. I'll see you down there on Sunday. I'm bringing my rain gear. 70% chance of rain, 67 degrees for the high is the forecast. I'll see you on Sunday. Thanks, Evan. Yeah, let's, uh, let's layer up. Great to be with you guys, <laughs> and uh, we'll see you in Baltimore. All right, that's NFL on CBS sideline reporter Evan Washburn joining us here. We have to take a break, but when we come back, we'll get to some of your phone calls as we have our topic of discussion today Which players do the Bills need back in the lineup the most on Sunday against the Ravens? Steve and I back in a second here on One Bills Live. Stay tuned. The offseason is difficult for any fan, but Snapdragon Apple season kicks off in October, and it's worth the wait. Snapdragon Apples, the official apple of your Buffalo Bills. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker back with you here in hour number one of a Tuesday edition of One Bills Live. And we want to get to the phones because we are asking you today, it is the main topic of conversation here, how quickly can the Bills get healthy? And with that in mind, which player do you think the Bills need back in the lineup the most on Sunday against the Ravens? 803-0550. 1-888-550-2550, the number to get on board. Do have an open line available. And we lead off here with Dave in Clarence. Dave, what do you got for us? You're on One Bills Live. Hey, hello, guys. Uh, to answer the uh, question of the day first, uh, we need as many defensive linemen healthy as we possibly can get because uh, our front six is, is the strength of uh, our defense. Now, now, just to uh, move on and put a caveat to uh, the game on Sunday, uh, I was at the game, and Brownie, I think you were there also, were you not? Yes. Yes, yes. Then, then you know how hot it was. Mm-hmm. Um, Saturday, when I arrived, uh, thunderstorms had come through, and it had cooled down a lot. I woke up Sunday morning, and, I, and it felt like I was in hell. And I know uh, the way that uh, field is configured, the visiting team is in the sun the whole game. Right. And and so uh, our guys, uh, to their credit, I gained so much so much respect for our team, to their credit, they played one hell of a game. 
and to lose by only two points to a team who plays in that oppressive situation uh, all the time, our guys stood tall. And secondly, I, I have so much respect for Josh Allen, it's unbelievable, because Josh is the only player who played every snap on both sides of the ball. He didn't come out one time for any offensive rest. And uh, that uh, touchdown uh, attempted pass that uh, ended up in the dirt short, uh, Josh, look, any human being, he would, he would make that uh, pass normally 99 times out of 100. I think he was just spent. So uh, I think uh, we need to reassess if there's any doubt in anyone's mind about the Buffalo Bills reassess right now. We have one hell of a team, and there's a lot to be proud of. And finally, my old uh, high school football coach, George Kaufless, used to say, you can tell more about a man when he loses than you can tell about a man than when he finishes or wins. And, uh, and I can tell a hell of a lot about our team. we got a great team. Thanks for taking my call, guys. Thanks, right, Dave. Dave. Thanks for the call. Yeah, I mean, there's no question it was a gutsy performance by the entire team. Just to uh, let you know, in addition to Josh Allen playing every snap, two other guys on offense played all 90 snaps on offense and a couple on special teams as well. Deion Dawkins and Roger Saffold played all 92 snaps on offense in the game uh, on Sunday. There were several players on defense that played 100% of the snaps, but they – they played half the number of snaps. They played like 43 total snaps on defense. Gabe Davis played 96% of the offensive snaps and probably did a whole lot more running than Deion Dawkins, Roger Saffold, and Josh Allen. Um, And we saw Stephon Diggs was making his way around the national media outlets with interviews today. He said on the Dan Lebitard show today, he has never experienced conditions like the one they had on Sunday He said it's the first time in any game in his career that he had IVs in both of his arms to rehydrate his body. He had full body muscle cramps. Hey, everybody's experienced a cramp in your calf, maybe a hamstring cramp where you're doing muscle cramps. Or your your foot. Full body? That's new. Yeah, that hurts. Yeah, it was an impressive day, no question about it. Uh, Miami's got a nice home field advantage there with with the heat on that sideline. It's significantly cooler on their side of the field, uh, and even they had some guys going down. It was it was a rough day, um, like I've never seen down. I've been you know we've been down there a bunch. I've done Super Bowl down there. I played down there in that stadium. It's been around for a long time, but when they put the the new they've refurbished it maybe three or four times since it opened up as Joe Robbie Stadium back in 1990-something. They've refurbished it a bunch, and this time they put the canopy on it, except that, you know, in such a way that only one side of the field is shaded. That changes everything, plus it was oppressively hot. Oppressively hot. And they gained a bigger advantage maybe than we've ever seen the Dolphins get out of that. So, yeah, the Bills, you know, battled valiantly, but they just couldn't get it done in those conditions, plus with the injuries and the guys falling out. And, you know, everybody says, well, it was your defense that was hurt, not your offense. Well, actually, the Bills' offensive line was a wreck uh, in that game. Yeah, more Two guys, guys went down on the offensive The left tackle side. and the left guard in the game, and the rest of it was um, the guys who 
were the last guys, literally the last guys available, and one of them was playing with a torn ACL at the end of the game. So it was rough. It was really rough. Um, it was a good game, Plus fun you game lost, to watch. you lost a tight end in Dawson Knox to heat-related uh, problems, and you lost Jay Kumro to an ankle, a high ankle sprain. So you were down to four receivers, one tight end, and you had no offensive lineman left on your bench. Right. By the time you got to the end of the game. The offense certainly suffered more casualties during the game than the defense did. They basically lost Benford. Um, That's right. And that was it on the defensive side of the ball uh, to injury or heat-related stress. We go back to the phones, though, and to John in Philly. What do you got for us, John? You're on One Bills Live. Hey, guys. Thanks for taking my call. Hey, wanted to answer your question first. And the first uh, thing I'd say is I'd like to get – Jordan Phillips or Ed Oliver back, at least one of them. Two of yeah. them would be great, but um, at least one of them on the defense side of the ball would help, especially with the rain coming this weekend. Probably going to be a little running going on, so I think they would be great um, to get one of them back. Um, but, hey, I wanted to tell you guys about a win and actually thank you guys about a win that happened this weekend that you guys played a part in, and you guys didn't know it. So I'm uh, just uh, just under 40 years old. I'm 30 years old. And um, I decided six months ago to run my first half marathon this past weekend. Okay. And uh, during the half marathon, I listened to your uh, – it was on Saturday. I listened to your Friday segment because I purposely didn't listen to you guys on Friday because I wanted you guys to motivate me. And I listened to you guys my whole race, did it in two hours and 37 minutes. Nothing amazing there, but I got it finished. And you guys were with me every step of the way, literally. Oh, nice. Oh, very nice. Well, glad we could help out. Um, had we known, I don't know, I might have put a little – subliminal message in the show for you there but i'm glad it worked glad we got you over the finish line nice job hey guys yeah i appreciate it and just wanted to also give a a thought for this weekend or just a future i think this game this loss can motivate us uh similar to some of our losses in the past couple of years just to, to to get back on it and keep going forward um and uh see us you know get back ahead of the rest of the afc here starting with a win this weekend i'll be there i'm driving down from philly it's only about two hours away we bought tickets yesterday, my wife and I, and we got them underneath the awnings. So there's quite a bit of awnings there, so we made sure we got them because the hurricane's coming. So yeah. if you're going down, bring lots of rain gear because it's supposed to be coming. All right, yeah. man. Thanks, John. Appreciate the call. Um, two in a row there, Steve. First two callers, player they want back more, any defensive lineman that's healthy. Yeah. And, and for two very good reasons. Number one, you're playing a team that's going to be running the ball. And number two, with the weather that's forecast, they're probably going to run even more than they usually do. Right. So you better be have some guys on the defensive interior back. That's right. And that's, you know, it's Ed and Jordan Phillips, and they need them back. We'll yeah. see. Jordan Phillips probably further away than Ed is. Um, right. But uh, neither one is going to be out for an extended, extended period of time. Uh, at the most, probably Jordan Phillips, what, three weeks maybe. So we'll see, uh, depending on how severe his hamstring was. Uh, Ed, you see, you know, he's kind of a day-to-day thing is what Sean said, yes. I think. So uh, that's a little more optimistic for him. So, yeah, I agree with you. The Ravens can run it, and they run it really well. I've been watching them already on tape in their New England game. They do some stuff that is just amazing. The ball handling and the misdirection in their run game is really, really difficult to follow, and you've really got to stay disciplined up front to defend it. And because they spread you thin side to side in their run game, and you got to be able to bear up and fight off a block and then still be in position to make the make the tackle while you're not getting distracted by the misdirection. 
it's really tough to defend to, yeah. for for me as a as a guy watching it, never having had to do it. It's really difficult to follow sometimes. The ball handling is smooth as silk. Lamar's really good at it, um, and like you and I were talking, they've got this fullback, Ricard. He's 305, 6'3", 305. And he had a a reception in the game last week. Well, he's a very agile athlete, um, but he is a wrecker in the run game. Oh, he's a a train wrecker. Yeah, he's a a really nice football player. He's basically one and a half Reggie Gilliams. Yeah. Yeah, he's huge. He's gigantic. You'll see him on Sunday. He looks like a lineman in the backfield. Absolutely. That's what he looks like. Yeah, he looks like it looks like Kyle Williams. Yeah, in the it's like Kyle Williams in the backfield. Yeah. Exactly. It's the first thing I was thinking of. That's funny yeah. you said that. We have to take a break here. When we come back, we are wide open in hour number two for your phone calls. So if you're on hold, stay right where you are. We will get to you next here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. Live, presented by Kaleida Health. Hour number two here on a Tuesday. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you. One Bills Live is the show as we contemplate whether or not the Bills are going to get healthy enough to put together a top-notch performance against the Baltimore Ravens, who are dealing with some injuries of their own. Uh, Not for nothing. Not to the extent that the Bills are, but they are beat up in some key positions. Left tackle, most notably, with Ronnie Stanley still not ready uh, last week to return from injury. We'll see where it sits this week when the injury reports come out on Wednesday. But in that vein, we are asking you today, which player do the Bills need back in the lineup the most on Sunday against the Ravens? First two callers out of the shoot have both said, get us as many defensive tackles as we can. They believe, and I would tend to agree with them, that the strength of this team is their defensive front. At least that's what it showed through the first two weeks of the season. Then injuries struck, and things changed dramatically uh, on the defensive interior. Ed Oliver listed as day-to-day. The hope is he is back and ready to play on Sunday, but we'll have to see how he makes his way through the week. Jordan Phillips might be a little bit further away with that hamstring injury, but we'll know for sure when the Wednesday injury report comes out what the status looks like for everybody on Buffalo's injury list, which remains lengthy heading into week four. We go to the phones, though, at 803-0550, There are a couple open lines for you there if you want to chime in yourself. But we lead off the second hour with Judy in Buffalo. What do you got for us, Judy? You're on One Bills Live. I have two questions and two comments. First of all, I thought the Bills could go 5-2 and two in the first seven games. Now I'll be happy with 4-3. and three. Next, will Isaiah Hodgins be activated for the game? Uh, third, to win the game, we must control Mark Andrews the way we did in the playoff game. And fourth, the Bills' strategy, I think, on a wet field must be with um, 
slot receivers, tight end, and maybe runners out of the backfield catching the ball. I wait for your comments. All right, Judy. Judy. Good uh, stuff. And thanks for the call. And I will say this. uh, I don't think Isaiah Hodgins gets called up this week. The reason why is Khalil Shakir has been inactive um, when they've decided to go with just five receivers this season. Assuming Jay Kumaro is down and he's got a week-to-week injury with a high ankle sprain, I would expect Khalil Shakir to be his replacement among the receiver rotation. Right. So I would expect him to be up, which to me would not prompt the need for a call-up uh, for Isaiah Hodgins. I like your thoughts about the approach for Sunday's game. I will remind everybody, when the Baltimore Stadium first opened, it was natural grass. But in 2002, it was a long time ago, they changed over to turf, and it's been turf there ever since because they get a lot of wet weather there on the eastern seaboard, and late in the season they were having major issues with the field surface. So that's the good news because the turf drains a lot better than the grass does, and you'd have a mud pit if you got even a tropical depression blowing through there from Hurricane Ian by the weekend. Uh, Steve, your assessment on her people that you can't that you'd well, like to get back in the lineup yeah ed well first of all stopping mark andrews i don't know at this point that that team is the same as it was two years ago uh when they stopped mark andrews in the playoffs certainly it was a big factor but lamar is a different player than he was two years ago um the the players i'm more worried about on the outside are duvernay and uh, bateman bateman they've got some guys out there that i can play and they can run too and they're they can run and, and their running game is still a factor but yeah mark andrews is a good player but uh, and i'll say this they i think against uh, not miami but new england last week they suited up four tight ends i think isaiah likely and josh oliver we're all active with Mark Andrews and Nick Boyle. I think yeah. Nick Boyle was active. But. Isaiah Likely is an intriguing player, Steve, and he is Mark Andrews is just a big target. He runs well, but he's more of a build-up speed guy like a Gronk. He doesn't run like Kelsey does. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um Isaiah Likely is he's kind of an undersized tight end in terms of height. He comes out of Coastal Carolina. Very productive in the receiving game. He's kind of like a tight receiver. He's right. not Mike Gesicki. I think he can block better than that guy. Um, but he runs routes really well. And Lamar has established some good early chemistry with him. We forgot to ask Evan Washburn about likely. So, yeah, he's, he's, a, right. he's a weapon for them, even though he hasn't been used extensively. Yeah, So and then the, the other thing you mentioned about slot wide receiver, if it does get muddy or wet or whatever – uh, are they going to use the slot guys, the tight ends, and the running backs? Now, the running backs did become a factor this last week as the wide receivers started to drop off the page because of the heat exhaustion. At 15 catches. Um, yeah, which is unusual, and we all know that. The Bills' running backs don't usually catch that many passes, but uh, uh, certainly with the, the game that uh, Devin Singletary had, that changed a lot. I mean, yeah. he had Devin, Devin had – uh, 11, nine receptions for 78 yards and a touchdown. Those are both career highs. And he had 11 targets. So they, you know, they gave him a lot of chances at that. And the other one um, was. He was a safety valve for the Blitz. He James really Cook was. had four catches. Yeah, for 30. I'd like to see a little more of him. Yeah. So that's a good call there, Judy, on the guy, the alternate receivers who may become a bigger part of it. Um, 
under adverse conditions, uh, and that includes the tight ends as well. So certainly we haven't seen as much as we thought we might of Dawson Knox, but that doesn't mean that they haven't been playing uh, pretty good without targeting him, so we'll see. Yeah. We've had two calls already about defensive line. Can I just throw Mitch Morris a bone here? <laughs> yeah. Really like to get the starting center back in there. Um, in light of the bobbled snaps that they had last week, I realize they were few and far between, but they came at critical moments of the game, cost the team points, um, and nothing against Greg Van Roten or um, Greg Mance. I mean, both of those guys stepped in in difficult situation, did the best they could, and I thought they performed pretty admirably, all things considered. Um, but your center is a huge part of the whole deal there. I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah, the the confidence they had in running the plays, getting the protections right, uh, getting every snap. That, there's no doubt. I mean, in hindsight, it's easy because we were all wondering why they kept going in shotgun in certain formation, in certain down and distances, short yardage most lo- notably in goal line. They never put Josh under center because they couldn't get it done. I mean, it's it looks easy because you see guys do it like the Bills. If they were under center the whole game, you see it 90 times a game. You see it 50 times a game. And back in the day, we all grew up watching guys do it all the time. But now, with you understand how difficult it is to come in and get it done. We heard Eric Wood yesterday come on and say, listen, you got a guy three inches from your head. And what they do is, and Kent Hall told me this, and I heard him tell young centers this, when you snap the ball, everything happens so fast, you're the only guy on the line has got one arm because mm-hmm. the other one's back up between your legs giving the ball to the – to the quarterback and then so the guy's jumping your shoulder while your arm's down Mm. you know it's hard to it's hard to execute a block like that and when you start thinking about that then you forget that the first thing you got to do is get the ball to the quarterback all that stuff is and you got to do it lightning fast which means you're doing it at high velocity with high intensity and the ball snaps up into the quarterback's hands like it's coming out of a cannon yeah so all that stuff is rife with risk it's not so hard when you you just kind of half throw it back there waist high to the quarterback and your arms right you know halfway up already so that's why Mitch Morris was missed in that game on on Sunday not only because of his ability to execute it but, but the freedom it gave him to go under center at crucial moments so you're right and you can say well they're pros listen you can say that all you want to but it's 90,000 degrees on the field, and these guys are hobbled together. You got to talk about protect. You got, there's a lot on their plate. Yeah. And, you know, you need. Mitch you, makes a difference. It makes a difference. Yeah. Makes a difference. Let's get back to the phones and see what you have to say. Which player do the Bills need back in the lineup the most Sunday against the Ravens of the guys on the injury list? We go to Gary in Lancaster next. What do you got for us, Gary? Whoops, hold on. Let me get you up How here. You doing, buddy? There you go. Anyway, Ed Oliver. Okay. Originally, I would. You said Morris. I, I I agree with that. Now I hear about it. I go, holy cow! Yeah. Right. But uh, Ed Oliver will will change the front line. One thing we can do is stop Lamar from doing what he does. Well, we can't stop him. We'll kill him now. Yeah. And, and from doing what he does, and then then we'll have a chance to do what we can do. Their defense is not good. So if we can limit them, and that's a big thing. Lamar to like whatever I can do, not 40 yard game, then we can do what we do. And uh, Oliver just blows stuff up. And when he's next to 
all the people we have in our line, yeah. So I think I think Oliver's a big guy. And you mentioned Morris and Isidore, and when you said that, I said, "Oh my God, yeah, we need a center because that is the rock of what Josh does. Right. He snaps it and he goes, and when he snaps and goes in confidence, teams are in trouble. So, yeah. uh, but I'm sure they're taking. Uh, you know what? Every backup center in the world taking ten thousand snaps, so they'll be fine. But uh, it, the last game was an aberration. It was it was a impressive heat. It was, it was yeah, everything every single thing that went wrong was what could go wrong. Right. They missed special teams. They missed interceptions. They missed opportunities. They were fourth down. They blew field goals, and we still almost won it. So if we don't blow twenty different things. This team will battle you to the end, and Ed Oliver will blow up Lamar. That, that's that's a big deal. All right, Gary, thanks for the call. That's we appreciate good. it. I mean, it, there is this to be said. Um, the Bills, as we know, when they're playing a guy like Lamar, are going to have to be very disciplined in their rush lanes. You can't carry the pass rush arc too far up the field because Lamar just steps up underneath that and then escapes out to the right or the left. So they're going to have to keep a tight pocket. Um, but Ed – with his penetration ability could prevent Lamar from even stepping up if he can get the right kind of penetration directly up the middle. So we'll see how they work that with stunts and twists and whether they just do a straight four man rush and keep it tight in terms of the splits. But yeah, I mean, if you can get penetration up the middle, you just have to be careful that you're not leaving him a lane to loop around the outside and get away. I mean, it's a guy with four, three speed, as the Dolphins found out in week two when he rumbled for a 79-yard touchdown. Right. Nobody was near him. I don't think you anybody gotta, touched him. you got to be ready to defend a guy that's as nifty and as elusive in the pocket as Josh Allen is. I mean, the guy can take off and run and beat you. That's what Josh does. That's why he's such a backbreaker for defenses the Bills play. Lamar's the same kind of guy. Uh, you can make comparisons all you want. Uh, where Josh may be a better thrower or passer from the pocket than Lamar is, but Lamar is better in the field running the football than Josh is. Well, yeah, because as good as Josh it, is. Because he can take it 80 yards. That's yeah. why. And that's – so these two guys are both unicorns, and they, they are a little different. They're each unique, but it's going to be up to the others, finger quotes, you know, the Vaughn Millers of the world and, and to make a difference in this game, that the Ed Olivers, the – you know, Stephon Diggs, the Dawson Knoxes of the world, the Gabe Davises of the world, and then for and and even for the uh, Ravens, their guys. It's got to be guys like like Ronnie Staley, the left tackle. Is he going to play? Like Rashad Bateman and Devin Devin Duvernay. There's going to be these other guys. That are, it's who can help their quarterback win the most. Um, I'm st- I still I like Ed Oliver. I like Jordan Phillips as the answer to this, but Mitch Morse makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, you'd love your offense to be hitting on all cylinders this week. Let's go to Mark in Lancaster next. What do you got for us, Mark? Hey guys, thanks for taking my call. Sure. Hey Chris, you hit the nail right on the head. It, without a doubt, it's Mitch Morse. We saw what happened with snaps under center, how they were bobbled, and even out of the shotgun where where the snaps are kind of at his ankles. You know, we have a two. $200 million man back there and every second counts. And if he's looking down, you know, he's got to be able to feel comfortable with the snap, whether it's under center or in the shotgun. Also, if I'm not mistaken, he's the guy that's making all the line calls. Yep. Right. Plus, if you look on, on, on plays that are outside sweeps or counters, 
who's usually leading the way, number 60. You know, he's very athletic. And if things are starting to head south, you got that comfort zone with a veteran that can keep, keep the huddle under control, keep Josh in check. I think he, without a doubt, is the key to our offense and, and making it tick and making things real comfortable. All right. I appreciate you taking the call. Yeah, sounds good, Mark. Thanks for it. Um, yeah, I know that when Morris is in there, not to say that Van Roten and Mans can't make protection calls, but to me, the sense I get is that Josh leaves it in Mitch's hands because of that trust factor that he's established with him, playing with him for the last three years. So I think there is less on Josh's plate when Mitch is in the game, if that makes sense. Right. And I'll say this. Sean made a point to praise the work Van Roten did and Mans did while they were in there because, you know, they were shorthanded and those guys stepped up and, yeah, they and played well. And Van Roten went a long time after. It looked like he was going to come out. Like, he, he bounced back, came back after a tough injury, then got a whacked again and had to stop finally. So he battled through some things on the way to getting last man in the game. And so uh, Tommy Doyle, the same thing. So there was a ton of guys that – and not the least of which was Van Roten and Mance – who Sean McDermott really had some high praise for after that game. So, yeah, it's a, it's appreciated, no question. But you know, you got to. It starts where the ball is, and that's that's Mitch Morse. Let's go to Bob in Cheektowaga next. What do you got for us, Bob? You're on One Bills Live. Hi guys. I I I think Poyer will make such a big difference if we could get him back. Just his leadership, and I don't know why, but I'm thinking that play where Watto got behind him, guys. I know how fast he is. It's just players always seem to be in the right spot. I think they miss his leadership back there in the huddle and everything, and I'm, I'm just excited. If we could get Poyer back, I'd feel a lot more comfortable. Yeah, no, that's a that's a worthy candidate for sure, Bob, and thanks for the call. Um, you know, with a tight end who is their number one target in Mark Andrews and has been for the better part of the last year plus, be nice to have Poyer out there knowing he can draw some of those coverage assignments on Andrews. I mean, he's a big dude. You're probably going to have mixing and matching with him and Milano sure. and maybe some others. But, yeah, you'd love to have Poyer out there with Johnson. You know you're not going to have Hyde the rest of the year. I feel good about Jaquan Johnson out there as the second safety. If Jordan Poyer is your primary guy, I feel even better because now you can have Jaquan, who's a little bit smaller in stature, then Jordan kind of play center field, look at the whole thing, you know, from back there while Jordan is wreaking havoc up closer to the line of scrimmage. I think that's the best fit of the safeties they have left um, without Micah. So, yeah, you get him back and things dramatically improve on the back end as I see it. Yeah, as long as you can get lined up and have your assignments straight, you can you can depend on your athleticism to carry you through. And last week, they, you know, Tua did a nice job looking left, left, left toward Tyreek and then coming back late and, and lofting it up to Waddle. And it made it too far uh, to get back and help. And that's why, you know, he was a tenth of a second late getting there and the, and the pass was completed to set up that touchdown for him. So, or the go-ahead touchdown. So, you know, that in and of itself was kind of what you, you know, lends credence to you need to got, you got to get them lined up right. Yeah. And that's what Poyer does so well. Let's uh, go to the phones again, and we go to Rich in Amherst next. What do you got for us, Rich, on One Bills Live? 
Hey, uh, last couple guys hit it on the head. I was going to say Morse as well yeah. uh, for your question of the day. I mean, we, this team can run anybody in a track meet, I think, if, if the offense is in rhythm. And I think, you know, the defensive injuries, yeah, they hurt. But if you got to the offense clicking, I'm not worried. Even if the other team's hanging 28, I think we can still put up 35 when everything's in order. So I think Morse is the most critical of them all. And um, I wanted to talk about something you guys talked about a little bit yesterday. But um, the league rule where the Dolphins, if they don't use their air conditioning, heated or cooled benches, whatever, we can't. I think that is the most ridiculous thing in today's day and age. I understand the fairness aspect. If you're talking about the quarterback's helmet to the sidelines not working, then the other team can't use it or the headsets not working or the tablets. That's all fine. I get that. That's a fairness thing. But when we're talking about heat or even cold in the winter, if it was reversed in Buffalo, I mean, do you want, you, I, you know, some of your callers may not remember, but you don't want another Corey Stringer on your hands in a game day situation because they have heat stroke. Like, that's just ridiculous to me that that's even a rule in place. Uh, I'll hang up and listen to you. Yeah, I, um, I'm not sure about the specific rule because I think, too, I've seen it where teams can request it and it was, it'd be given to them, but I'm not sure that that's the case. Like, if, if you're coming in and they're not going to use it, but you want it, you can kind of you can request it. I'm not sure if that's the case. And there's a couple of things I wanted to check about in this game because a couple of things came up, like yeah, like like fumbling the ball out of bounds deliberately inside the two minute warning. How that works with the clock stoppage and whether it helps your team um, at the end of the game. Don't know if it's possible or, or legal or if it helps you or not. But um, I know it's been done in decades past. But I, I think the rule has been evolved since then. So there's a lot of things I want to get to the bottom of. But I, I think that. You're never going to be able to make it um, – yeah. That sideline thing is a big difference in Miami, and I think that's the most pronounced difference I've seen in any game in my, in my experience of one side being in the shade like theirs was and, the, and one side being in the heat and having it affect the game as much as it did and the rosters and the players. Never seen anything like that. Um, you know, you can say they should change the rule and all that, but it's it doesn't happen that often. Of course, in this case, the Bills were the victim of it. Uh, as you might expect, a division opponent would be more likely. But uh, I've never seen a game have that much disparity in the conditions on the sideline. Yeah. And it was even bad. Like I said earlier, a couple of Dolphin guys fell out as well. Yep. And they were in the shade. But the Bills, I mean, it was like every single guy was suffering from it. We have to take a break here, but more of your phone calls on the way next. 803-0550-1888-550-2550, the number to get on board. Which Bills player on the injury list do you think is most important to have back in the lineup on Sunday against the Ravens? You let us know when we return. Here on One Bills Live, presented by Collada Health, it's Buffalo Bills Radio. The Buffalo Bills and AdPro Sports are teaming up to award varsity head football coaches with the Coach of the Week Award. Week four winners in the Buffalo region, Section 6. It's Williamsville East's Mike Tarillo, who takes home the award after he led the Flames to a 35-28 win over Sweet Home in Section 5, Rochester region. Coach of the Week is Alexander's Tim Sawyer after he led the Trojans to a 50-0 win over South Seneca 
To improve to 3-0 on the season, each Coach of the Week winner will receive a $1,000 grant from the Bills and Ad Pro Sports. Congrats to those coaches at the high school level. We are talking with you about the Bills' injury list. And come Sunday against the Ravens, which player on that injury list do you think is most important to have back in the lineup for this matchup with Baltimore? We go back to the phones, and leading us off in this segment is Marie in Amherst. What do you have for us, Marie? Hey, guys. So I figure we're three games in. There's no need to panic. We don't need to bring anyone back right now from injury. Just let the guys rest up, move a few pieces around, bring back a familiar player with the system. I'm figuring we can move Tavon Austin up, let Gabe Davis get a rest, um, move Tavon up, let him be on special team, I mean, to return punts or kickoff, move Siren Neal up to cornerback because we do need some experience back there. We don't have much money to be going out getting other people bringing them in and then we need to bring back a familiar someone familiar with the system like elijah griffin for special teams just just special teams not to go out there and be covering for corner special teams you know i think he's really good he's familiar he's solid he's a good tackler he's got speed and he's cheap <laughs> like not to say he's cheap but you know that's something we can do we don't need to Let's not rush anything. It's Baltimore. We need to put up points. We just need to keep scoring and get our offense back in the groove. So that's all I wanted to say. Yeah, all right. I, Thanks, I, Marie. Yeah, and I, Marie, it's, it's a solid point. I don't know about the names you mentioned or the moves, but to make they're going to make do with what they've got anyway, and you're right. It's up to the, you know, to Jim and head coach to move the roster around. If, there's, if they do need to bring in help from the outside, and I don't even think that they do. I don't think they need to go out on the street and bring guys back that they've released or whatever. Uh, certainly they brought in Rhodes this, today as a veteran corner, so maybe they're getting some feedback as to that they're going to need. Even if they do advance Saran Neal to corner and all that, they still need somebody at that position to come in and yeah, be a backup. They're low on numbers. They need a backup for Saran. So you're right. They're going to make do with what they've got because they trust those guys. And it's not that easy to come in and just, you can't, it's not hockey or something like that. You can't plug a guy in. There's an, an entirely new language that the guy has to learn the verbiage and all of that, the concepts that you're running on offense or defense. So it's not that easy. Special teams. You can do that with, you can plug a guy in, he can go down and do his job and help out, but not on offense or defense. So you're right. And they, and I think that's exactly what they are doing. They're going to make do with the guys that are in the building, first and foremost. Right. And and whatever needs to be shuffled around, they will. And just so you know, Gabe Davis got through the game no worse for wear this past Sunday, so he's not really an injury issue. I know he had been dealing with an ankle injury, but he played 88 snaps last week and is no worse for wear, as we understand it. So he should be good to go going forward. And then as far as your suggestion of Elijah Griffin, he is with the Giants right now. He was claimed by the Giants after he was cut here in final cuts. So uh, he's not even available as an option, um, though I agree with you. He would be cheap, but he's not available to be had. Um, so, yeah, they're, they're going to just dig deeper into their roster and where they don't have numbers, even on their practice squad, they're probably going to look to add somebody, which is why Xavier Rhodes was here today on a free agent visit. Whether they sign him 
is another question. And they may have to sign a lineman too, Steve, because, yes, you got Bobby Hart back this week, but you're losing Tommy, Tommy Doyle, Doyle for the season. Yeah. So he's got to be replaced. And there's nothing that says Van Roten's going to be ready to go or any of these other yeah, guys, so, or Mitch Morris for that matter. Right. So you're going to have to add to the offensive line ranks, presumably here in the next day or so. So we'll have to see where that goes. Back to the phones, and we go to Will in Baltimore. What do you got for us, Will? You're on One Bills Live. Hey, thanks for taking my call. I think that um, I think Mitch Morris is the probably the second most important guy on the offense. So I, I think we really need him back. You can tell when he's not in the game; it's like a trickle down effect. Um, he's he's just so important to our running game. We get out, we get to the to the um, we get out of the huddle at 15 seconds when Morris is in the game. But when he's not, we get to the line five seconds, and, and, the, and the two worst plays that happened, well, not the two worst plays, but one of the, uh, what was it, the, the strip sack, that was when the time was running down, and, the, and then another um, another play with uh, with the rook when he couldn't get in, when he couldn't he couldn't get the block. So it was, it was like when he when he's in the game, everything it flows better, everything. Yeah, it was, it was interesting, Will, that I noticed last week they were breaking the huddle a lot later last week too. First two weeks, Offense was breaking the huddle around 21, 22 seconds left on the play clock. Last week, it was more like 15, 14 seconds, sometimes 12 or 11. Now, to me, there's a part of me that wonders, was that on purpose to give guys as much rest as possible in the huddle in between plays before getting up to the line of scrimmage, knowing how taxing the weather conditions were? Might have been a part of it, Um I'll try to remember to ask Coach about that when I get a chance. Right. They, yeah, and if you're talking about offense, I mean, they've got Alec Anderson, the rookie out of UCLA, is on the practice squad. You could bring him up as an offensive line. You're talking about replacing these guys and uh, having the offensive line take off like that. And, and we don't know yet. It's too early in the week. Uh, we're going to get an injury report tomorrow. So all these machinations that we're talking about happening, we don't even know if they need to yet. Well, yeah, you're down Doyle. Doyle so is that down. guy's got to be replaced, and I would imagine. And you're down, Micah Hyde. It's going to be Alec Anderson or uh, Ryan Van Demark to, to to be elevated. And now, theoretically, neither one of them is going to see the field because everybody else is going to be healthy, and they'll be it'll be Spencer Brown back on the field with right. Kessenberry backing him up. But we don't know. Yeah, we don't know. Let's go back to the phones at 803-0550. Open line for you there. We go to Jack in Buffalo next. What do you got for us, Jack? Yes, hi. Um, I agree with uh, the last caller that Mitch Morris is a uh, is an important part of the, the, the most important player to get back in the lineup. But I do have a question about uh, why didn't the Bills try Reed Ferguson, their long snapper, um, to you know at, at the center position during that game? Well, well, Steve, I'll let you take that one. I'll tell you why. Um, Reed Ferguson isn't physically up to it. I, I love Reed. He's a good dude, and I'm, I'm not saying – I'm not insulting him in any way, shape, or form. I'm just telling you, Reed Ferguson – Was he 260? Is, no. He's not even near – he's nowhere near 260. Reed Fer, I'm looking. I'm looking this up now, and I'm having trouble doing it. Uh, let's see. Here we go. Reed Ferguson is – Six two two thirty five. There's your answer. Not an option. He's not an option. They would take Reed Ferguson by both ends of his body and use him like a tent peg, tent peg, and they would hammer him into the ground. 
He wouldn't allow – I mean, I, I love Reed, but he's, an, he's a long snapper. And that's different than being a center. Uh, different skill set and a different job requirement. You can't line – you don't line anybody up over the long snapper. It's illegal. You line somebody up over the center all the time, and it's a big, mean, nasty dude. Um, Reed Ferguson, 6'2", 235. That, there you go. I mean – That's your answer. There's your answer. Reed is not a center. He's a long snapper. It's not the same thing. Correct. Um, Reed's not even an offensive lineman. So, there you go. Let's take a look at some of the comments on the tweet sheet brought to you by Corrigan Moving Systems, the official equipment moving company of the Buffalo Bills. DJ on the tweet sheet says, Poyer, to get some experienced leadership in the secondary, and then I would pick Oliver or Phillips to eat up the middle of the line so Miller can feast on the outside. Go Bills. Um, yeah, I mean, these are these have been common responses. Jeremy says, Jordan Phillips, he is a presence we are missing dearly on that front line. I wish most of them would be back, but it's just not looking good. Janine says, definitely Jordan Poyer. I think the secondary has been the hardest hit with injuries. The man can ball out. Hopefully he's feeling better and can get back out there to be the leader we need. Dave says, stopping the run will be the most important part of the game Sunday, especially if the weather is going to be terrible from the hurricane. We need our big boys back. I want Oliver and Phillips. Uh, Keith says, considering what the offense looked like against Miami, it's got to be Mitch. Look, I don't think the offense looked bad. Um, it was just in the red zone where they came up short, and in short yardage situations they struggled. Now, do I think Morse could make a difference? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Give them their number but one I don't think the line, offense be was better, terrible yeah. last week. It, in situational football, they were bad because that's what that's the first – it's like – your golf game, the first thing you lose when you don't play for a while is your short game. The first thing you lose in when you got your offensive line out or guys starting to leave is situational football, is short yardage and goal line. Yeah. That's it. And, you know, maybe the long yardage if it's certain injuries. It's those situational plays where you've got specific things you've got to get done that cost you when you start losing players. And it's where you lose your edge when those guys have had reps together and there's certain things they got to do and subtle things like, Feet, foot positioning, hand placement, body position, all of that stuff in con in conjunction with the guy next to you. It all makes a difference down in short yardage goal line, and, and these guys just don't have enough reps, particularly playing the positions they were stuck playing, the center, the right guard, and the right tackle. Kessenberry knew what he was doing probably, but not with Tommy Doyle at guard. Right. And not with, not with Greg Mance at center. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you want to know why the, the offense sputtered and had trouble punching it in the end zone, you don't need to look any further than that. Yeah. Now, you can say what you want about Josh and one hop in that throw, sure. Sure. But you had, like, you, you, can't know, do you had a bunch of other chances than that. And, yeah. and one of the reasons you're throwing that play is because you can't do anything else. You got, no other, you got other options that are limited because of the guys up front. Wow. Break time for us here. Steve and I back to wrap things up on who we'd like to see back in the lineup soonest for this weekend's matchup with the Ravens. We're back in a second here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. All right, welcome back to One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you here on a Tuesday, about ready to close this thing up. A couple of final thoughts on the tweet sheet. 
from Dan. We need Morse and Phillips back the most. We need someone to get heat on the quarterback with Miller, and we need Morse to help Allen. So it's kind of an astute observation. They they feel that if you get one of those guys on the defensive interior, that the trickle-down effect will help Miller on yeah. the edge. I think that the prevailing sentiment is, and I agree with it, is that if our, the offense gets healthy, they can score with anybody. I mean, they're going to be able to keep up on the scoreboard if the other team gets out. Uh, and our defense has the ability to make enough plays to make the difference in the end with the pass rush and with the run stop. Uh, yeah, I don't think – so, yeah, I like I like the answer with Mitch Morse. Um, Spencer Brown, um, Bates would be nice to get back in there, but – if you can get your offensive line back to healthy, this offense can score with anybody, even even the Baltimore Ravens, who are hanging a lot of points on people. Um, but defensively, with this team you're facing, it scare, they scare me. They they do. Yeah. This this team, the Baltimore Ravens, is the first team this year. Maybe the Rams. They're really kind of scares me, and they're because they're th- good. Right. They're. I mean, good. I think an argument can be made for the secondary because they have been the hardest hit by injury. Hyde was down. Poyer's right. coming off an injury. Dane Jackson's coming off an injury. Um, and you don't have Tredavious White back yet. Right. So I think you can make an argument. Nobody said Dane Jackson today. I was surprised. Not one right. person said Dane Jackson, a starting corner. Um, Almost Christian Benford that, I'd like to have back. <laughs> I realize people look at the Ravens and say, oh, they're a running team. They've been throwing the ball. Yeah. I mean, what are they? Are they the number one passing? Uh, number three. Yeah. No, I'm sorry. The Bills. The Bills. They're are a little number, bit further down. The Bills are number one. Number one passing. Josh leads the league in throwing, but Baltimore's the, the number one scoring yeah, offense. In they the score, and that's a, that's a problem. So we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. That's it for Steve and I today. We'll catch you tomorrow here on One Bills Live at One.